You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Idea Farm Malaysia. Malaysia has played an active role at the United Nations since becoming a member state in September 1957. Malaysia's constant subscription to the centrality of the UN has allowed for the evolution of rules-based interaction among member states, creating a stable international order. Malaysia's commitment to international peace and security induced Kuala Lumpur to put forth its candidature for the non-permanent membership of the United Nations Security Council for the term 2015-2016. On 16 October 2014, Malaysia was elected to the Security Council for the fourth time. Malaysia has had the honour and privilege to serve on the UNSC on three previous occasions in 1965, 1989-1990 and 1999-2000. Today, Diplomatic Dispatch is honoured to feature the High Commissioner of Malaysia to Canada, Her Excellency Datin Paduka Anizan Siti Hajar Adnin, to share her perspective on Malaysia's experience at the United Nations Security Council. Her Excellency Datin Paduka Anizan Siti Hajar Adnin was the Deputy Permanent Representative of Malaysia to the UN Security Council from 2015 until 2016. Welcome, Your Excellency, and thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Amira. Thank you for having me. And uh, I really appreciate this opportunity to share with you our team's experience serving in the Security Council. Pleasure to have you with us today, Your Excellency. My first question, Your Excellency. During Malaysia's tenure as the non-permanent member at the UNSC for the term 2015-2016, Malaysia advocated the vision of peace through moderation by promoting international peace and security. Could you explain to our listeners on Malaysia's aspiration of being in the UNSC for the fourth time and what was our respective priorities for each term? To answer that question, first, I think it is important to recall that we were elected to the council mm-hmm. with an extremely strong mandate by the UN membership. During the election, we received 187 out of 192 votes. And out of the five new members elected that year, Malaysia, New Zealand, Spain, Venezuela and Angola. Mm-hmm. Malaysia received the second highest number of votes after Angola. So it, it, was, it was a good number. For Malaysia's term on the council in 2015 uh, to 2016, mm-hmm. we joined in with five main priorities. Our first priority was to continue to advocate the vision of peace and moderation. Second, Uh, we wanted to promote mediation as an approach towards uh, peaceful conflict resolution. Third, we wanted to focus on the enhancements of uh, peacekeeping operations. Fourth, we uh, also aim to promote peace building through technical support for countries emerging from conflict. And uh, fifth, we wanted to encourage continued discussion on reform of the uh, Security Council. So as for Malaysia's priorities during our term in the council before 2015-2016, uh, uh, I have to say that I don't have detailed information on that. Mm-hmm. However, um, I believe that our priorities when we were in the council must be closely consistent with our own domestic policy goals, uh, interests and objectives during that particular time. Having said that, 
I believe that there exists a good literature on uh, our experience in the previous uh, council terms, mm-hmm. uh, including by Tansri Razali Ismail, our former permanent representative of Malaysia to the UN. Tansri Razali has written a book entitled uh, UN Chronicle. Mm-hmm. It is a very good book. Uh, it is about his time in New York and when Malaysia was on the council in uh, 1999 to 2000. And I believe you can find it in the IDFR's library. Thank you very much, Your Excellency, for the clarity on Malaysia's aspiration of being in the UNSC for the fourth time. It was indeed a powerful moment for Malaysia. My second question, Your Excellency. As the Deputy Permanent Representative of Malaysia to the UN during Malaysia's non-permanent membership at the Security Council in 2015-2016, I am sure you face more than your fair share of challenges, both in terms of your personal workload as well as Malaysia's focus. Would you please share with our listeners what were the key milestones during Malaysia's tenure? At the first instance, Mm -hmm. I think simply being elected to the council was a huge milestone itself. For Malaysia, during the election in October 2014, Mm -hmm. I must say that it was such a sweet moment for the country, you know, because we were voted in uh, with a very strong mandate. As I mentioned, 187 votes, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning only six UN countries did not vote for us. And then, of course, after that, our teams, both in Wisma Putra and in New York, Mm -hmm. we worked very hard throughout the next two years. In terms of the outcomes of our term uh, on the council, I believe there were many, Mm -hmm. but I can mention here some of the significant achievements. First, the adoption of the Security Council Resolution 2225 on children and armed conflict. Now, we initiated this resolution during our presidency in uh, 2015, Mm -hmm. and we received more than 50 co-sponsors for this resolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, for your information, this resolution called for strengthening accountability for violations of children's rights in armed conflict. Uh, in which uh, we introduced the element of abduction as a trigger for listing on the UN's uh, list of violators. That's the first one. Another notable accomplishment was Mm -hmm. the adoption of Security Council Resolution 2334. This is on the illegality of Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank. I remember this clearly because we tabled this resolution on uh, 23rd December 2016, just a week before our term ended in the council. Why, why is this uh, resolution important? This resolution, uh, it, it is quite historic because it was the first successful uh, Security Council resolution on settlement issue mm-hmm. in over 36 years. And it is legally uh, binding on all UN member states. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, this adoption uh, of the resolution was an example on how our team uh, managed to quickly lead, coordinate and uh, marshal huge support when it was dangerously close to being withdrawn by its main sponsor. Third, we participated actively in the process of selecting the new UN Secretary General to replace mm-hmm. Mr. Ban Ki-moon. Now, we work very closely with other like-minded uh, elected council members. Mm-hmm. And as a, uh, we manage as a group to introduce changes to the selection process by mm-hmm. introducing a more systematic, more objective and transparent nomination process. 
for your information before our time, the shortlist of candidates for UN Secretary General was mainly prepared and controlled only by the P5 countries. And um, it is also important to note that Malaysia presided over the council not once, but twice during our term. In 2015, the focus of our presidency was on children and armed conflict, women, peace and security, and the downing of MH17, among others. In 2016, our focus mainly was on the UN Security Council's selection process and, uh, on disarmament and non-proliferation, uh, among others. There are others, but you know those are the main uh, uh, focus. And aside from that, during our time, we managed to demonstrate uh, Malaysia's strong commitment to the mm -hmm. multilateral system, while at the same time, we managed to seize the opportunity to to, to deliberate and to act on many issues of international concerns at that time, including the conflict in Syria, the conflict in Yemen, as well as the uh, Palestine-Israeli uh, conflict, among others. Mm -hmm. So, um, in addition to that, mm -hmm. I also strongly believe that Malaysia had managed to carry the voice and concerns of smaller nations at the Council. One example, during our time, Mm -hmm. Malaysia and other like-minded council members successfully introduced the concept of climate change as a threat mm -hmm. to the national peace and security. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, we carried not just our voice and concerns, mm -hmm. but also to those of the small island developing states at the council. Mm -hmm. So as a whole, it can be said that the opportunity for Malaysia to join the UN Security Council, which is the highest decision-making body of the UN international system, mm -hmm. uh, it was indeed an important moment for us to showcase Malaysia's progress and development as one of the major players in the international arena. Yes, undoubtedly, Your Excellency, those key milestones were indeed significant and great achievements for Malaysia. Would the G4 admission to the permanent seats, in your opinion, Your Excellency, add more leverage for smaller states in the Security Council to play a larger role in global peace and security? I should first like to mention that the debate on this issue has mm -hmm. been going on for a long time, you know, yes. way back before we served in the Council, even after we left the Council. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, the reform issue has been a long-standing demand from countries from across the globe. Mm -hmm. in particular from the developing countries which are underrepresented uh, in the council. We all know that the structure of the council does not reflect the current world order. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the paralysis uh, induced by the permanent members' misuse of their veto power impedes the council core objective of preserving international peace and security. Mm -hmm. As for Malaysia, we continue to advocate for an enlarged and more representative Security Council. And on the question of veto, you may recall that Yamak Bohomat Perdana Menteri himself, mm -hmm. in his speech at the last uh, UNGA meeting in uh, September, he advocated that in line with the principle of one country, one vote, it is now time to abolish the veto power. So now, well, having said that, and with the benefit of hindsight and fairly mm -hmm. recent experience of serving in, on the council, what I can clearly recall is this. Each individual security council member, be it P5 or mm -hmm. E10, all of them bring their own national interests and priorities to the table. And 
their national interests and priorities then influence the position or the approach that they take when deliberating on issues before the council. So it is almost mm-hmm. always national interest. As you know, currently the council comprises 15 members, five permanent and 10 non-permanent members. Figuration. A huge amount of energy, time and effort is spent by the council to bring uh, differences of positions in order for them to achieve consensus or to mm-hmm. even vote uh, uh, on issues uh, at the council. Yes. So therefore, in my view, enlarging permanent membership of the security council with uh, large powerful states, uh, for example, with the G4, as you mentioned, yeah. but without little power, may perhaps complicate rather than facilitate the council's work and operation. Well, um, at the same time, and, and I don't know the position of the of the G4, I wonder how would they feel about becoming uh, permanent members without veto power? I personally do not think they would be interested to become permanent members with, without having this special privilege to veto a motion in the council. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this is something for us to think about. Thank you very much, Your Excellency Datin Paduka Anizan Siti Hajar Adnid for such a profound sharing that has shed light upon Malaysia's experience at the United Nations Security Council. The first-hand input from someone who was on the ground during those significant years is indeed valuable to highlight Malaysia's milestone and realisation. On that note, thank you for listening to today's episode of Diplomatic Dispatch. Tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.